Welcome back, listeners, to Trad Men. Uh, awesome episode scheduled for y'all tonight. Um, as you know by now, episode two of Mass of the Ages has come out, and we are very blessed to have the 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 guy who is making all of this happen with Mass of the Ages, Cameron O'Hearn. And uh, well, he's not making all of it happen, but he's he's sort of he's at the, the he's at the head of the uh, the effort. So. Uh, we're definitely blessed to get a chance to talk to him. Um, Cameron, am I coming through? Yep. On your I hear you, hear you just fine. Okay. And I can hear myself through you. Do you have headphones oh, at all? I do. Oh, that'd be great. So I'm, uh, yeah, you could say I'm the head of this because um, there's a lot of people, a lot of people helping. Maybe I'm the beard. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, 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 know you're the, I know you're the producer. Do you direct? Uh, do you direct both of the episodes too? Correct. Yeah, producer and director. Okay. Is, is, yeah, is that's what I thought. I just wanted to, I wanted to be sure I got your title, so I just went with, uh, you know, in charge of it all. That was a, a good. <laughs> yeah, we had a. We actually had a, a. What was it? A couple weeks ago was it? Was his name Jacob came on the trivia show, and really yeah. wowed. I think a lot of people with uh, with his knowledge on the mass. So. Um, it seems like everybody's benefiting from you and your team when it comes to the learning about the Latin mass. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Jake, Jake has been phenomenal. Um, speaking of people who've, who've been helping out, I mean, he, I mean, it takes, it takes a whole village to make a movie and it takes millions of tiny decisions. And Jake handles most of those decisions that just the day in day out, you know, um, all the communications that come in, you know, scheduling stuff. Where do we go? Who do we talk to? So he's a he's a co-producer is the official title. And then it allows me to kind of hunker down in my bat cave and try to be creative. <laughs> so. Right. Well, uh, before before we get too much more into it, we want to uh, say a quick prayer to the Holy Ghost very, uh, really quick. And hopefully uh, that he will um, uh, bless us with an edifying discussion and um, give us the, the, the wisdom needed to probe some deep issues that are explored in this film. So uh, for those of you who are listening or, or watching, please feel free to join along with us. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Veni Sancti Spiritus, repletor acorda fidelium, et tui amoris in eis ignim acende. Imite spiritum tuum et creabuntur. Et renovabis facem tere. Oremos. Deus qui corda fidelium, Sancti Spiritus, illustrazione docuisti. Da nobis in iorum spiritu rectas apere, et de eos semper consolazione gadere, per Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. Cameron, you are making what is, in my opinion, the most important Catholic film since maybe uh, The Passion, which I guess wasn't exclusively a Catholic film, but hmm. you get my point. Um, this is a very, very, very important apostle. I cannot tell you how happy I am about what you're doing and what an impact you're making in the church today. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I, I would agree with that, not because I think I'm the best best thing there is or that the film is the best thing that that's out there but um the reason i'm making this is because i think it's it's critical it's critical for us to as catholics to remember our story um the the liturgy is is where we get our catholic identity sunday after sunday it's where we you know orient our lives we build everything around 
you know, how we worship. And uh, episode one, people remember, is about introducing people to the Latin Mass. But it's equally important to know where the new Mass came from and to understand that history. And so, yeah, thank, thanks for saying that. And I, I equally agree that this is, this is a critical, important film for, for people to view for just that reason. You know, I was talking to Mark before we before we aired, and <clears throat> I've read uh, several books, you know, by Yves Sharon and and a couple other people about the changes to the liturgy um, after the Second Vatican Council. I thought the film did a really good job of laying it out and what happened in a very concise, fair uh, assessment of everything. You know, versus me trying to go explain to people, I look like that that meme where that guy's, you know, pointing to the board and he's all crazy, <laughs> you know, but, 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 but by the end of it, everybody's confused because I, I think the, the, the film also cleared up a lot of confusion. I, I, I think there's confusion on both sides, right? You've got your, your traditionalists and you've got your, you know, your new mass goers who are confused of what Vatican II actually called for. They're confused of how the changes came about and, the, the 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 film really does do a good job of here's the facts and anybody that disagrees with it you you source them they're free to go research it themselves so it's not like you're you, you're trying to be deceptive mm -hmm. and trying to hide uh what you're saying with an agenda it's all out there and i invite anybody that watches the film that questions what your film is presenting go research it because you're not going to come to a different conclusion because i haven't that's right. And even if people know that there's like, let's say they're studied and they've read Sacred Sanctum Concilium. I mean, that's like a whole new level of invested Catholic if you've actually read that document. But even of those people, there's still a disconnect between, oh, yeah, I know the new mass is different from what Sacred Sanctum Concilium called for. But the extent of the differences, like you remember the animation that just shows things changing, added, ripped out, um, crossed me. out. It's heartbreaking, yeah. It it shocked me uh, just a few months ago when I'm... So <laughs> it was a labor of love to go line by line through the missiles, and they have side-by-side -side comparisons online. But the great thing about film is it can give you the images. It can, it can attach these images to your mind and show you the extent of something. And so particularly with this, I mean... I just made a Google Doc where left side I had Latin Mass and right side I had the New Mass, and I would look through them side by side. Side by side, I you know um, had advisors we were working with just to double check like each and every line like meticulously. And even though I had studied the liturgy, the Latin Mass, even though I had made episode one, I was already deep into these books. Even I was like, um, the extent of the changes was was kind of overwhelming for me and shocking to me. And, you know, we're not, the conclusion of the film is not as dark and sinister as people think it might be. You know, when you get into a lot of these trad publications or articles or videos, they can too easily attach like, Freemasonic ideology into the new mass um, or like the new mass is, you know, Protestant at its, it's very evil core. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, our conclusion is basically like to be Catholic is to love tradition 
and to um, and people would agree to accept Vatican II by its by its word and, and documents. But then what the Concilium did was something that the committee had put together the new mass was something very un-Catholic. Um, they they tore out Catholicism. They they ripped it away. They didn't treat their heritage with reverence. And so the new mass is, our conclusion is they just went too far. And we need time and the Holy Spirit and the church to redirect our course. And in the meantime, the Latin mass is, is uh, probably my favorite quote in, in the film is Dalma and read at the end. He says, it's slightly ironic that in the Latin mass communities, you find what Vatican II wanted wanted people to find in the liturgy come on and uh (laughs) it's amazing because in a sense then why do we need the new mass so who's really denying vatican ii here (laughs) that's right fair question i think and that that's what we're constantly accused of and denying vatican ii we all know is the principal sin that you can (laughs) commit so who's denying it let's ask the question give give me the mass of vatican ii i want to see it (laughs) Um, one of the things, and I think you were, you were just talking about it in this one instance of the difference between that you show between the, the old, the traditional order and the new order, but you do that for kind of the entire landscape of this film. This is a, this is a very complicated story in some ways. We're talking about an ecumenical count. You have to introduce to people what that is. You have to introduce to people how that takes place. And when I say people, I mean, me too, um, you have to introduce a variety of players and moving parts. It's very complex landscape. And yet, and one of the things that I was concerned about at the end of episode one, I kept telling my wife, I was like, how's he going to do that? Because, (laughs) because like I, we remember when the new, when, when the new Dune movie came out, we went to go see it because my wife and I are really into Dune and we were like, it was good, but I didn't like it. And I don't know why. And I was like, because you tried to condense this incredibly vast landscape into a very tiny movie. And that's difficult to do. And I'll be darned if you didn't do it. (laughs) I mean, you nailed it. So you should have seen our wall. So when we had like a team meeting last year and went through like the content of episode two. So we had like sticky notes of Bunini and Lercaro and Concilium and, the stories we're trying to interweave. Was and there red? Was there red string connecting the things? <laughs> Please tell me. There was a red uh, post-it note, or not post-it notes. Uh, what are those called? Yeah, post-it notes. Things you okay. stick on. Stick on. Okay. Yeah. Red was uh, Bunini, so we had a. We could kind of see. I mean, <laughs> we color coded them so that I love it. Um, we could kind of see how much of each thing we were focusing on to get a good balance. Okay. But honestly, very. At the at that stage, it was like, how are we going to pull this off? And I, I think the the way we pulled it off, besides the obvious, which is, Lord, I can't do this. Um, I know that you want this film to be effective, so just show me in my stupidity and my limitation, like what the best course of action is, because there's a thousand ways we could fall off the track, and. I really trust a lot of the success into our process. So the first 20 versions of, of this film was were really bad. 
They were really bad. They were very, um, too, they were academic and heady and dry and confusing. And there's rabbit trails we went down. So I really trust it to just a patient process where, okay, we have a draft. Let me show it to my wife so I know I'm not crazy. Um, once we have like a, a good draft that I can share with the team, then we have like these team screenings and massaging it. But then a critical part of both episodes one and two was a um, private screening where we have about 100 people who fill out surveys. We make sure they're, they're from different backgrounds so that we're not just getting people who already agree with us. Yeah. And that is critical because their feedback, while it's not, some of it is contradictory and you don't listen to literally everything. It's not a democratic process. Oh, Cameron, you went, you muted. You're muted. I think he's fixing there, his mic there. Oh, there he is. Uh, there, there he can is. you hear me? Yep, gotcha. Yep. Okay. So even though it's not a democratic thing with, with all this feedback coming in, you start to see themes. It's like, okay. I see what they're getting at. How can we solve those problems? So it's really just patience and iteration that now we have this film, which I think does a really good job of holding all those things together. And th the important thing is the narrative. So like when someone's coming in dry or with a little bit of a Catholic background, we need to take them from, you know, level five to level eight in the course of an hour. And, it's, it's all about how you weave the narrative together. So, and if you notice, there was things we didn't go into. We didn't go into communion in the hand too much. Like how did right. that come about? Right. We didn't go into the SSPX, like what happened with them? And um, there was other things like the Ottaviani intervention when the, when the missile first came out and who were the players in that? There are things we didn't go into because similar to episode one, we're making the, the kind of foundational the starting ground. Like, I think this film does a good job to like reset and restart the conversation. And then we can talk about more things. Let's talk about communion in the hand. Let's talk about the SSPX. Let's make more content in that direction. So, well, um, you, I, I was going to say when you go online and you see a lot of low budget traditionalist films about the liturgy, right? They, there's a lot of bashing and it seems like contempt, right? For, for our novice Ordo, uh, attending brethren right this film doesn't do that what what i got out of this film the most was the um lex orande lex corinde is vital to our faith and i think correct me if i'm wrong but i i think episode two really pushes that theme hey the way we pray and the and the way we worship is going to affect the way we believe and it doesn't matter what your background is that's the reality no no matter your background. Yeah, like yeah, Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi is something that we've wanted to say from the beginning. It's like the the crystallized message of like this is why there's such big problems. There's a crisis of belief in the Eucharist. Um, there's a crisis of like understanding our own faith. Um, so many things about it. And episode one had that theme in it, and episode two uh, returns to that theme. But we really had to tease out what makes the Latin Mass distinctive and unique in episode one. And then when episode two, we wanted to approach it less from like, oh, you know, clown masses and, you know, liturgical dancing and, and all this other stuff and, and uh, you know, the sacrilegious things that are happening. 
that's really a red herring. That's a that's t- that to me is a is a straw man. That's not mm. the Novus Ordo experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fair. It's it's taking cheap shots at at I that, and, and it's assuming that everyone who goes to the Novus Ordo Mass is like incompetent, stupid, um, right. doesn't have a strong faith, and it's not the case. So we 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 approached it from just a straightforward, just look, just perceive, look look at. The differences um, make up your own mind in a sense, but we certainly have a case we're, we're building where people say, yeah, it does matter. I mean, for example, one of Michael Knowles quotes is, if you're told that this host is literally the body and blood of our Lord, but you're handed it, you know, disrespectfully and a crumb falls, it doesn't really matter. Well, that's going to affect what you believe because because you can't just say it you have to do it you have to act it out our actions um have a much greater effect on what we believe than just talking about it and uh and you just have to show it i mean the the problem is that at 99 of new mass parishes let me qualify by saying i know plenty of people holier than me that go to new mass parishes my spiritual director is a is a new mass priest um super holy uh, priest, but the typical experience at 99% of these parishes is a pretty banal, um, flat, uh, overly simplistic worship setting where I don't know if any old Joe or any old Muslim or atheist walking into this church would really think you guys believe what you say you believe, mm. that that is Jesus, you know, God Almighty in that host. It's the all yeah, and then you just have to show. I think show rather than tell, and uh, be fair. Don't take cheap shots, but also don't pull punches. That's kind of the the balance we're trying to go for. I've I've said this before, and I'm sure Mark is tired of me saying it, but I'm gonna say it again anyway, because because what you said touches on why not the only reason, but a major reason that that my family decided to go to the Latin Mass because we were converts back in 2018 through 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 a a Novus Ordo parish. No, there wasn't none of these like you mentioned earlier, these clown masses or liturgical dancing, just a run of the mill Novus Ordo uh, church, right? So, but the first time I went to the Latin Mass, and this is when those surveys were coming out, really talking about people how they don't. The Catholics have a uh, denial of the real presence in quite a large number. And I went to the, yeah, I I went to the Latin mass the first time and you could see with the altar rails, only the priest is touching the the body of Jesus. You know, people are on their, their kneel, uh, their uh, knees kneeling. And it dawned on me then if I want my children to believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, they have to see something different. Not, not like, like when you go to a uh, Novus Ordo mass, you just walk up and you receive it. Like it's common bread and walk mm-hmm. off with it. There's nothing special in the way it's, it's given. There's no uh, special way in which it's handled because everybody's just handling it, walking off with it. But I knew when my kids see that there is something different about the way this is presented, this is handled, this is given that it would give them the best possible chance of having that belief in the real presence. That's right. And it's not enough for mom and dad to say it 
Monday through Saturday, like if the mass is the most important thing in the whole week and you know, we, we try to instill that in our kids. Like we're going to mass worship God, receive God. Um, I mean, my, my three-year-old, she, she thinks that the priest is Jesus. Like she, there's no, like, she doesn't have the qualifiers to understand that. No, the priest is there and he stands in the place of Jesus. Well, the priest to her is the most and holiest person in her life. And if she goes to mass and father Bob is just casually distributing communion, like you said, like it's just common bread. Um, I don't know if she's going to believe what dad really says about, about the Eucharist and yeah, yeah it's because, and, preach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you, you go to a, a traditional parish and it's like God's house should look different. And when we interact with God, it should be different than interacting with just a buddy across the street. When we yeah. receive God, it's different than, you know, a cafeteria. And, and these things are really important, especially for young people. I want to talk about the 650-pound elephant in the room. Let's talk about Tradiciones Custodes, okay. which, which came out very shortly uh, after episode one. Before episode one. Before episode one. Yeah. I'm sorry. What I meant to say is it came out after, well after you had completed episode one, I guess, right? Or and yeah, I so mean, you, episode so one was in the can, and this was not something you didn't. In other words, you didn't make episode one as a response to Tradiciones Custodes. Is correct. So what timing I mean. wasn't timing was impeccable. <laughs> as <laughs> as you, they Lord. say, the Holy Ghost knows what he's doing. Um, <laughs> has that presented? Well, first of all, when you read Tradiciones Custodes. And then, and in light of everything you just completed, you just wrapped up episode one. We're getting ready to release it. What, what went through your mind? Well, it was um, very discouraging uh, reading it. I read it my kitchen table. I just woke up. Uh, my wife said, "Hey, there's this thing. Um, looks like it actually came out because there's rumors something like this was going to come out." Right. And you know, leading up to this moment, like the past couple of years working on the film it was like a golden age for traditional catholicism is like everyone wanted to talk about how mass should be traditional you know even the conservative middle types were like yeah mass should be traditional and gregorian chan is good and all this um but then when this came out i i thought well it's it's probably there's probably going to be a lot more resistance moving forward um first of all a lot of confusion as if the the mass is this political thing it's like oh now pope francis says we can't have the latin mass and then we right. need we need a, a conservative pope to be elected to give us the latin mass again and it's like why is it it's just really confusing that the mass of the ages is is like this political thing that can be like you vote in your candidate and then they you know, right. block the abortion bill or whatever it is. It shouldn't right. be like that. Um, right. So, yeah, I was discouraged, to be honest, a little afraid. Like, okay, this isn't just a good documentary that's going to live in the corner of a traditional, you know, movement. It's like now it's at the center of a, a debate happening in the church. And a, a lot of things are changing. There's a lot of confusion. So I want to do it well and do it right and just follow what the Lord uh, follow how the Lord leads and do it how he wants me to do it. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it was a lot easier to get interviews before Traditionis Custodis. And now 
um, different orders are worried that if they appear in the film um, and say certain things that uh, they'll, you know, get get the hammer from their bishop and or be removed from the diocese or whatever it is. So, um, but it's it's like the, I mean, if Traditionus Custodis came out, episodes one and two are the films I would want to make, and so God just got me started a lot earlier. And <laughs> his his timing is perfect. So I I, I just remember thinking. Well, I mean, besides the anger and the hurt and the pain and all that, that, that we went through, I just remember thinking, cause I was so impressed with episode one, um, and people were talking about it and it was, it was a buzz in the church and then Tritonus Custodius comes out. And I remember thinking, wow, the Holy ghost is behind this movie and Satan really does not want this film to be made. And I, I just remember thinking that and, and, um, I just remember thinking, Blessed Virgin Mary, anything you can do to protect this project, you please do. Uh, and and we we continue to pray for this apostle Thank because I, I, we feel like it's very important. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode, we're going to put links to episodes one and two in the description, as well as a link to latinmass.com, which is uh, Cameron's website. Um, you, you know, interestingly, <clears throat> interestingly enough, is after Traditionis Custodis came out, I think it actually <clears throat> opened the eyes or activated people looking into the Latin mass because I know at our parish, we had uh, d- during the, you know, COVID and all that. And then after that, you know, when we would hold doors because me and Mark are in the nights, we'd hold doors for people. So we had a lot of new people coming during that time. And even after, uh, so after tra- traditional custodis, people would come, and they had never, it had never even crossed their mind about the, the Latin mass, but they heard this. They say, Hey, I want to check this out. And then they, and then they come and check it out and, and they're just confused about why, why does Pope Francis, right. why does the Holy father have a mission to shut this down? Like what's the, what's the purpose? So I think in some ways it kind of backfired on them because people, they didn't care one way or another. They were just your faithful Catholics going to the parish down the street, trying to live the, their faith the best they could. Now, all of a sudden they're sitting here saying, this doesn't seem right. Why are we, why are we discriminating against our traditional brethren? I agree with that. I saw the same thing. Like, um, like when you try to, to squash something that has a lot of love and devotion behind it, that love and devotion just grows stronger. And then it creates this kind of, um, in his his eyes, I guess it'd be an unfortunate curiosity where now more people want to, you know, want to attend or even like are defending, whereas before they would be Absolutely. like uh, reticent about defending traditional Catholicism. Now they're like, hey, they're not that bad. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I just remember feeling like in the last 50 years, we've got a church with a lot of bleeding wounds and I felt like, so rather than address right. these wounds, we're going to rip open one that had just started to heal. Yeah. which I, is... I was so blown away by that. <laughs> I just couldn't even, Excuse I me. still can't. Sometimes I go back and I reread Traditionis Custodis because I'm almost sure I misread it the first time. <laughs> well, well, you, Mark made a good point. We did an episode on it right after it came out. Mark made a good point. I thought, and I'm, I'm going to repeat it, that, that, you know, we had just when this was released, we had just come out of 
you know, the COVID with all the churches being shut down, people being denied their sac the sacraments, and people were having to drive further distances to receive the sacraments. And right when people were down, hmm. when 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 people's you know, some people were struggling in their faith because of all this, instead of instead of having uh, a, a group of people in parishes that are booming and people's faith is strong, we the this motu proprio comes out and kind of kicks everybody while they're down is what it felt like. That's right. And you, you gotta, you gotta believe that, um, it just shows that perhaps Pope Francis has misconceptions that have been fed to him about the Latin mass communities or in general. I mean, it's interesting that he so easily equates, like some random guy who goes to an FSSP parish with someone who denies Vatican II. Like what? How well, do you get de- denies the Holocaust? I mean, <laughs> like, you know, we're just, we're just the worst people yeah. on earth, you know? Yeah. Well, here's then, the thing. Sorry, go ahead, Cameron. Yeah. Well, I just think there's so many. So Pope, Pope Francis was ordained, I think in 69, which is right when the new mass was coming out. Yeah. And I imagine he probably didn't celebrate the Latin mass. Um, I assume that what he received, like the, the information about the Latin mass has just been through secondhand sources. He probably hasn't been to a Latin mass parish. He hasn't talked with but he average never, people in the pews. He, he didn't used to feel this way when he was, a, when he was the, uh, uh, archbishop of Buenos Aires, when, uh, Sumorum Pontificum came out, he gave, uh, one of his church, one of his parishes there uh, told the, that a Latin mass would be said there every Sunday. And, and it was, it seems oh, to have, good. this seems to have happened recently. And, you know, when you have a job like the Pope or, or, uh, or the president or the CEO, you're, when you're at the, the pinnacle of an organization, you have people around you that tell you things. Yeah. You, you trust yeah. these people. You're not the and, one answering or sending out emails. Yeah. And, and it's not like you can just when you want to find out what's going on with the Latin mass, well, I'll just fly down to Houston and go to Regina Chaley one Sunday and sit in the pews and no one will know who I am. You can't do that. Right. You get a lot of filtered information basically. And, and I, you know, and I kind of feel getting back into the, the history here of, you know, you touch on it in the film and this was, this was my takeaway from the books I had read and the research I had read before your film. And it kind of confirmed that I wasn't alone in thinking this, you know, we're talking about Pope Francis and his advisors and handlers. If, if that's the appropriate term, I kind of feel like, uh, St. Pope Paul, the kind of fell into that same trap in particular with Bunini. I don't, I don't view, uh, Paul, the six as some evil modernist man who was out to destroy the church. I just think he had bad handlers, bad advisors. And in particular, Bunini, because Bunini has always come off to me as a very deceptive man with an agenda. And I think I think uh, at the end of the film, you mentioned how uh, Paul the six was concerned with other issues that he was kind of leaving it to people that he trusted and it ended up backfiring on him. I don't think he intended for it to go as far as it did. I mean, that that's my opinion. Yeah, he did. He did have similar, I'd say similar views of the liturgy with Bunini, like, um, I think very early on, Paul VI, I think when he was Montini, uh, had a view of a completely vernacular liturgy. Um, but there were also changes that, so B- 
Unini wanted to completely remove the sign of the cross, for example. Um, the Orade Fratres uh, prayers. Um, and interestingly, yeah, so before, before I get to this next point, I agree with you that I think Paul VI didn't have clear information. He, he also desired certain changes in the liturgy. He trusted Bunini to his to his uh, downfall. Um, and too much happened because he trusted Bunini with this great change. Now, what's interesting is that, so I, we've been digging I was just, through. I was just going to add that, that, yeah. that you are right. I, I did forget about, I hadn't thought about it since you just mentioned it. But yeah, I, I remember reading that Paul VI did want some of the changes like the vernacular. I did forget about that. That's an important yeah, but then there's other might. changes. He's like, why did we do this? Like, I don't understand the reasoning for it. And obviously the the there's a lot more going on under the surface with with lying and deception and you know chess that Bunini's playing. Right. But what was interesting is that so we've been digging through a lot of footage and you know, we found that clip of Bunini as the nuncio in Iran. There was also another clip I found that didn't make it into the film, but it shows what I think Bunini's view of the mass would be, and it would have taken way too much time to explain it. But basically, during the um, Iranian hostage crisis in this basement room, they had mass with some of the Iranians, and uh, Bunini was there kind of in the shadows in the corner. He was greeting people as they came in. But then picture this for mass. You're all sitting the whole time. You're all on the same side of the table as the priest. And you're just doing, he's saying the prayers of the mass and handing you a chalice and you a ciborium and you're taking communion. It's like completely, it's a complete Protestant view of the mass, which is a commemoration of the Lord's Supper, right? We're at the, this table, we're sharing this meal. You know, there's no distinction between priest and, and laity. And I think if Bunini had his way completely without a little bit of checks and balances that we would have had a liturgy that looked like that. That was almost completely Protestantized, like a, a Last Supper commemoration. So I thought that was really interesting. There's an old video. That's, that, that is interesting. I mean, lose the whole concept of sacrifice. Yeah. Like entirely in that mess. Well, yep. I, I mean, listen, I, I'm not, I can't diagnose anybody, but I can tell you in my professional, unprofessional opinion, Bugnini was a sociopath. Okay. Anybody who imagine, imagine the utter narcissism of thinking, you know, I can write a better liturgy on the back of a napkin than the Holy ghost can write in 2000 years, the sheer and utter narcissism of something like that. And quite frankly, we've still got that going on today. When, when two German cardinals give an interview where they declare themselves to be morally superior to Jesus of Nazareth, Oh, your eminence, probably not, right? Pr probably not. Who the hell do these people think they are? And at some point, are, is the church going to go, you know, maybe if these people declare themselves to be superior to Jesus and they can write better liturgies than the Holy Spirit can write, maybe I'm dealing with a narcissistic sociopath who might not have my best interests at in mind. Yeah. I, and, I, think, I think that... The next step for a lot of people, and this is what episode two kind of begins to set out, is the difference between church teaching, ecumenical councils, you know, the, the Holy Ghost, and 
disciplines in the church and bad actors in the church and really bad decisions by the church. Um, so I think with episode two in mind, like we can start to ask questions like, okay, maybe the, the, the new mass, was it a really bad decision and just, it went too far and now that needs to be corrected. Um, can the church make really critical mistakes in its discipline? Um, those are questions that are now unfolding. And I, I think one example would be um, the code of canon law, which, so coming back to abusive priests, um, the old code of canon law, 1917, had very clear penalties for a priest um, who was abusive. Uh, the new code of canon law removed some of those clear uh, penalties and instead use something like or similar punishments you know up to the bishop's discretion and, and so instead of like a hard he's going to be you know lay aside we're going to do this to him he's going to be out of ministry it was uh, the priest or the bishop can decide a just penalty well that one really bad decision in the code of canon law meant that you had this loophole that an innumerable amount of priests, you know, uh, predator priests were just able to, to walk through and go unnoticed. So I think there is a case to be made that like, we can say as faithful Catholics that the church can make really bad mistakes in its discipline and anything that's not official church teaching. Um, it can make really, really bad mistakes. And, I do. and, and not, and, and to, and to, we, and that we don't have to, Go well. I don't want to say go along with it. I can't tell anybody how how to, who they have to be obedient to and who they don't. We have to be obedient to the church for sure. But um, that obedience is a much more nuanced discussion sometimes than it's made out to be. And ultimately, you know, we're, our ultimate obedience ends with Christ, and that He, the source of all legitimate authority in the church, flows from Him. Um, but Doctor Doctor K has a really good book on that. Yeah, and and he did a and he did a good episode yeah. <laughs> on Tradman on it, but um, I do I want... have a I do have a question for yeah. for uh, Cameron here because I've got a simple mind. Maybe it's something that you can answer in the, in the film. Uh, I thought the quotes from the nineteen I think sixty seven Senate of Bishops about when they saw the I guess if you want to call it the first revision of the new mass, right? There was a lot of negativity towards it in the sense that this isn't going to be good for the faithful. Maybe we can get to some of those quotes later, but I remember one of Bunini's quotes was he had this idea that we needed to remove all obstacles that kept us away from our separated brethren. Right. My question to you is when I heard that quote, all I could think of is how is the last gospel and the prayers at the foot of the altar an obstacle to, to uh, reunion with our, uh, uh, fallen away Protestant brethren, right? Like, yeah. like to me, to, to me, when I hear that, it, he took those out for more than it being an obstacle because I fail to see how those are an obstacle in reunion. I, I must think that it was even more than this kind of ecumenism with the liturgy. It was probably like they just honestly just don't really have a prayer life these some of these you know, people in the concilium and 
the new ma- or the Latin mass is just full of G- these what they would say are unnecessary things. Which is like, let's just get on with it. You know, why do we have to keep repeating stuff? Can't we just say, you know, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Let's just get on with it. And I think that the new mass is very much patterned after this, you know, efficiency mindset, um, utilitarian mindset. Let's just do what's necessary and then go on to the next thing. So I think a lot of the Latin mass to people like Bunini was, I think they changed it for more than just ecumenical reasons. I think it was just like, they didn't see the value in it. They didn't see the, well, it's just an uncatholic way to look at look at it. They're not seeing it as something time honored that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years for a reason, um, a devotion that has kind of stood the test of time and is now a, a solid part of the liturgy. They just don't think like that. They think like pseudo Catholics who want to Protestantize the liturgy and who think they they know what's best. So I'd agree with you. I mean. The thing that comes to mind when I heard Bunini's quotes about removing every obstacle that could be, removing anything that could be perceived as an obstacle to our separated brethren, I thought, dude, who tries to trick somebody into becoming Catholic? Like, <laughs> I mean, not for nothing, but I, I have enough respect for my Protestant brothers and sisters to not insult their intelligence and believe that I can trick them into becoming Catholic (laughs) and brother and brother bishops and brother cardinals who are, who none of whom listen to my show. And that's probably a good thing. When somebody tells you we're going to trick the Protestants into becoming Catholic, the first thing you want to think is what is this guy trying to trick me into? (laughs) I mean, that's the first thing I thought of is you duplicitous, liar why would you try to do that i i and and what is yeah, it about and, that that we heard that we went oh we should go with this guy that gave me chills if you're, if you're gonna um you know dumb down or mute or soften or flatten catholic faith to like then we can give them the fullness of the faith i understand that as like a a technique of like conversation like the first conversation you have with someone you're not going to lead with indulgences or something um yeah but if you're but isn't it in the liturgy that we should have the Catholic faith on level 10? Like, I mean, the early church, the the liturgy was split up between you had, you know, the, the, the preaching and all that. But then the sacrificial meal was reserved only for the catechumens. It was the ones it was hidden. It was secret. It was um, secret, not because they were doing anything nefarious, but because it was so richly catholic it was like that's why the romans thought are you guys cannibals because i hear about this eating another person um are you guys incestuous because i hear about your love for your brother and sister no it was just like catholicism that was unfettered and unabashed and unflinching and they weren't Um, ashamed of it yeah i mean what what does benini think like we're gonna make the mass like you know barely catholic and then where where do we place our Catholicism after that, where, and then what, what's after level two, you know, my, my grandmother, who was a very pious and holy woman who passed away maybe 20 years ago. She told me one time that the Holy spirit converts people. You don't convert you, you, you can't convert anybody. The Holy, the Holy spirit converts people. And the best thing you can do is stay out of his way. So when people ask you questions, Hey, 
do Catholics really believe that Jesus is the only source of salvation? Instead of you getting smart and going, nah, we don't really believe that. You can be with it. Don't worry about it. And thinking that, oh, man, I just outsmarted this person. I talked <laughs> them into the faith. You've just obstructed the Holy Spirit because you believed yourself to be smarter than him. And That's right. you're not. Stay out of his way. Tell the truth. And you know what? I've had I've I've had people who they don't they may not have necessarily converted, but they at least respected me enough to know that I wasn't lying to them yeah. in an effort to manipulate them. And then honest dialogue is now possible. Now they trust you a little bit. When you lie to people, they don't trust you. I just I just thought of an idea. If we can trick people into the Catholic faith, uh, maybe we can trick them into baptism. Me and Mark, what we're going to do in Houston, we're going to dig a big hole, Love cover it. it with sticks, put Love water, it. and tell people, hey, come here real quick. Love it. And, and as they're falling in, we'll have a priest there to <laughs> say the words of baptism. Jason, you I know, don't I'm, often I mean, say this. I don't often say this, but that's bulletproof. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I, I, I make I make a joke, but it, but it is but it is an issue because both of you are right. I mean, it's almost like you're trying to trick people with Catholic light, what's going to happen when you start feeding them actual Catholic doctrine? There's a good chance that they may leave because oh, that's not what they, that's not what they converted into in their oh, mind. They converted oh, into Catholic light. Don't worry, Jason, according to the modernists, that is never going to be part of the plan. So you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I guess so. But. There will be no honest discussion of Catholic dogma. <laughs> That'll. So um, before, before we wrap up, we've got about 15 minutes and this might take some time. So I want to do this thing that I call, let's take the temperature of the room. This is a highly theoretical uh, question where you get to imagine the future and tell me your version of it, what you honestly think. It doesn't have to be based in fact or anything like that. It could just be pure speculation. What is the status of the Usus Antiquior of the Roman Rite 100 years from now? What do you think? I think the Old Mass will become the unique expression of the Roman Rite 100 years from now. I think... Um... I think after, after there's, you know, a groundswell of people kind of waking up, remembering our story, understanding, you know, what happened in the 60s, where the church went wrong, uh, more and more people are going to be, uh, you know, unplugged from the matrix. And, hmm. and uh, what also is going to happen is the money is going to start f stop flowing from the new masses, so long as the government stops giving, you know, the bishops money for things. Um, but if if people stop giving in the new mass, if, if the numbers continue to dwindle, if the hair keeps getting grayer and grayer, and in the new mass you have, you know, a fertility rate of, I think it was like 3.6 when I checked it on that, on a survey. Well, eventually it's just a matter of time when and that's where the money is too in these faithful parishes. So right now it's uh, the survey I most recently saw said of practicing Catholics, only 2% attend the Latin mass. Well, that's a huge increase from the eighties when right. I, most people didn't even know it existed. It was like hidden underground. 2% of all Catholics, that's actually a big increase, but what's gonna happen a hundred years from now, I think it's just going to be pretty much exponential. Um, I think the more it's going to be attacked from the top, the more people are going to love it and hold on to it. Um, the more people are going to look into it. And uh, 
I think just with the the rate of childbirth in the in the Latin Mass, the um, the you know unchanging. That, you know that 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 van that you see yeah. at the Latin Mass. You know, yeah. you, maybe you have one. I know Jason's got one. You know got what? A, you know, I got I got an NV thirty five hundred. You know what? You know what that's called? You know that you know what that van is called? No, that's called the Lefebvrelet. <laughs> I'd heard so every that. time, every time me and my wife are driving to and from church, I go, "Yo, look, I know where that Lefebvre is going. He's, he's going to Regina Chaley." <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, I mean, these kids, these um, you know, three to eight kids per family, or, uh, for those who are blessed to have kids, well, they're going to grow up with and likely continue saying and attending and promoting the Latin Mass, and I think that the new Mass is just going to start to dwindle out of. I mean, we're already seeing entire clusters of parishes start to close and consolidate into like one or two main parishes in these big cities. And it's only going to be more and more of that in the future. There's the, the, the new mass communities keep coming out with the new program that they think is going to fix everything. Whereas the Latin mass communities are just saying the Latin mass, continuing with their traditional devotions and that is working and so i think the future just has to be the traditional latin mass uh, full stop and it might be maybe 20 years from now there's an even greater attack upon the latin mass maybe there is an attempt by the pope to completely you know ban it but i think yeah 100 years from now i think we're gonna see it really come to the fore 10 to 20 to 50 percent of all catholics attending the Latin mass and then it'll just grow from there. Jason, you know, what's it, your, what's your prediction? I want, I want, I want to take the temp of the room here on the future of the, do you, are, do you agree with uh, Cameron's well, assessment yeah, or do you think it'll yeah, be different? No, no, I, I, I agree because I just don't see, see how, now I know, I know my experience is anecdotal, mm -hmm. but at Regina Chaley, I know we're busting at the seams when I, when I've been to the fraternity parishes here in Los Angeles or Phoenix or uh, Omaha, I mean, literally always busting at the seams. And like Cameron was saying, there's, I mean, tons of big families. I just don't see how the how the new mass, as far as its numbers, are going to keep up. It would be interesting to see. I don't know if anybody's done it, but Cameron was talking about the numbers from the 80s. You know, we're 2% now, but that's significantly larger than it used to be. I wonder if anybody's ever taken that percentage of growth and saw what it was and then you could maybe you could potentially say okay it could be it could be this much in the next 10 years give or minus say two or three percent you know I so on and so forth and i think it works. would be yeah i think there are people who are looking into that because i've heard i've heard tell that those stats don't exist yet but that that's something that's being investigated i don't know i mean it's not foolproof to say what's going to happen yeah. but it but but it would be a interesting study to say this is the potential of what could potentially happen. See, I think I think the Nova Sordo will survive a hundred years from now, but not as it is now. It will, yeah. it will. If it's to survive at all, it will be as Benedict the Sixteenth envisioned it, an ordinary form of the Roman Rite. So, in other words, I don't know if you've ever been to the way they celebrate the Nova Sordo Missa at Saint John Cantius, mm -hmm. and that that will be the only ordinary form of the Roman right there won't there's not going to be free-flowing altars and glass tables and dancing around with anything it's going to be that 
or the traditional Latin mass. I think the two that will go down, this is just my prediction. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I think it'll be more along the lines of what Benedict envisioned. But the good news is none of us will be alive to be proven wrong. So <laughs> have you, have you ever been to Annunciation downtown with father, uh, father Felix, when he does the Novus Ordo mass? Cause he, because yeah. Annunci- I don't know if you're familiar with Houston here, Cameron, but we have Annunciation parish downtown and father Felix, who's a, who's a very good priest. He does both the, the Latin mass and the uh, Novus Ordo mass. But when he does the Novus Ordo Mass, he does incorporate incorporate the Latin. He faces ad orientum, and he actually doesn't give communion in hand, even at the Novus Ordo Mass. So he does he does a, a, a you know a reverent job as possible with the Mass. And um, but anyway, I, I, is that what is that what that's they do a, up yeah, in Chicago? Ex- it, exactly, exactly. And here's, I think that's here's my pushback like. on that. Okay. What is going to get the 99% of the parishes to start doing that? Because we, after the pontificate mm, of Benedict XVI, and could, are we waiting for a pope to write more fervently on traditional liturgy or to mm. you know, liberalize it even more so that more people can celebrate it? Because right. I think what might happen um, is the church... The bishops actually take a second look at the liturgy. A future, maybe a council will happen in the meantime, and it will be kind of a a reform of the reform of the reform. <laughs> <We'll go> back, <laughs> back to what Sacrosanctum Concilium actually said, and and implement reforms in the new mass. But what what might happen if if the church doesn't change course is you have more and more priests celebrating both because they realize that. The Latin Mass community is the one that's kind of keeping the ship afloat, right? And, but they do the new mass just because we do the new mass. It's kind of like the yeah, it's yeah. part of the job. That's a have that's you, a really excellent point. Yeah. Have Have you ever read the book by Father Blake Britton on what Vatican II really said? And hmm. I can't remember the rest of the title. Anyway, he he writes a book about Vatican II, and he calls a concilium a paracouncil, and he kind of goes into a lot of the similar topics that, that the film presents. But, you know, in the very beginning of the episode, we, we all agree that there are very pious, holy Catholics who attend Novus Ordo parishes. I mean, my, uh, my six kids' godparents are all very faithful Catholics that attend a Novus Ordo parish. And, you know, we picked them because we felt like if something happened to us, they would be, out of the people we are close to, they would be best fit to pass on the faith, right? Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, I didn't know you at the time. <laughs> I still wouldn't do it. But I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. So, but he makes the point in the book that, like, the and we're talking about the the faithful Catholics here, not your Eastern Christmas Catholics. But he says when he goes into like, like when he took an assignment at a parish, he didn't just go in and start saying, "Okay, we're going to do ad orientum, no more communion in the hand." It's a long process of two or three years where he would have classes where he would have studies with members of the parish. And he said, people's eyes were open because instead of coming in and just say, this is what we're doing. Once he, he noticed once he educated people, they would then start saying on their own, why aren't we doing ad orientum? Why are we having communion in the hand? It wasn't, but it, but he says, if I had gone in there and just forced it down their throats, I would have had a lot of resistance. But once you educate these people about why the church has done these things, a lot of a lot of your faithful Catholics will be on board pretty quick with these changes. Yeah, I agree. I but I also think that those 
two to three years of changes can be undone in the matter of a month by a new priest who's assigned to that parish. Yeah. And that, that's, yeah. the, that's the fundamental problem with the, the new mass and the ethos behind it, which is the, the priests do the new mass in their own ways. And because there's built into the rubrics, this sense of um, ad libbing, like you can add a little sermon here, you can add a moment of silence if you want, Ch pick, pick and choose your, you know, uh, your, your different rites in, in the liturgy. Well, um, a priest coming to a parish that has autorientum has all this stuff. If that's not their fancy, they'll just change it. And, um, yeah, good points. No, I right. think it's, it takes, a, you can undo these changes more quickly than you can, you know, reinstate them. And that's the unfortunate thing. As, as impatient as I am, I would like just to see the church get together at council and say, all right, we're going back, you know, but, uh, Reset. I, yeah, I, but, I do but, predict but that the next pope will, will end the liturgy wars once and for all by saying, by saying, by saying what Samorum Pontificum fell just short of, which is no one can take this away. Not even another Pope period paragraph. Is there anything about this you don't understand? Kind of a thing, because yeah. I, I feel like I feel like uh, quo primum is not authoritative because we've all just sort of agreed to pretend that. Um, because quo primum, I, I don't know how you could really write it in any clearer language, like in perpetuity. Uh, wow, what does that mean? Let's see. Let's go up and look in perpetuity in the dictionary. But that apostolic constitution that says in perpetuity that can be undone with my motu proprio bro i'm not sure about that and but uh, so i i really think the next pontificate will close the door on this, this finally i don't know <laughs> i don't know i hope <laughs> i will see but i get the feeling like even even a lot of bishops who weren't like latin mass guys were miffed by traditionis custodes a little bit yeah, yeah I've I, se we've seen that I appreciate what Benedict the Sixteenth um, was trying to do, but I mean, in retrospect, it's you wish he kind of did it better with with clearer language. With, I mean, a motu proprio is just on his own authority, so it's short of calling a council and you know ratifying it and all that. So, in that sense, a future future motu proprio can just you know hit the tennis ball back, and then we're back to where we started, but. I, I can see what he was trying to do because what happened with the liturgical revolution was so many things changed almost overnight, which is a very un-Catholic thing um, regarding the liturgy. And what he wanted to do is just say, okay, let's put it in the hands of the Holy Ghost over time. You know, he wasn't saying like, let's stay where we're at now. Let's just do these liturgies and stay here. He, he, he had a long-term vision that over time, through, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, through organic development, that we would hopefully achieve a more unified form of the Roman Rite. But unfortunately, Pope Francis is trying to just squash the Latin Mass and, you know, throw a, throw a party and a parade for, for the new Mass. And I don't think that's going to last very long. Well, I, I, I just read a, an article recently talking about how Francis burned all of his political capital on two really big and 
on on their face bad ideas. The Amazonian Synod and Tradiciones Custodes. Now he's trying to do this synod and synodality. Nobody cares about it. Nobody went to any of the I meetings. I still don't know what that means. Nobody's <laughs> Nobody does. And, nobody, and what's worse is nobody's bothering to find out because nobody cares. Uh, the, it's almost the like a joke. Like a joke we would have told 10 years ago. It's like, there's going to be a pope oh, who's yeah. doing this synod of synodality. It's yeah. like a and redundant. It's so weird. I, I, think, I think that he doesn't have much support left in the college. I think, unfortunately... It's kind of a shame, man, because I was I, I must admit at the beginning of his pontificate, when he was first elected, I thought, well, this is the same college that elected Benedict. So I, this is a young people seem to like him. This could be exciting. And what a what a what a disappointment. What a disappointment. Before, before we go. I, and that's I, our show, everybody. No. <laughs> what a disappointment. <laughs> Just that's the title of the this video. What a disappointment. Guys, Talk I had it. I had eight trials today. So if I come to you a little haggard, that's that's the reason. What do you mean trials? <laughs> oh no, I'm an attorney. I, I'm an attorney. Oh so my I, gosh! Yeah, you must so, be so winded. Oh no, it, it it was just exhausting. But nonetheless, it's still rewarding work. But I apologize. Enough about me. <laughs> well, talking about disappointments, if Cameron will let me, I will. Can I give you one critique of the film that I did not like? Yes. Bring it. So in the beginning, when you started playing the remakes of My Little Pony, <laughs> uh, My Heart Will Go On, Good Times theme song or whatever, I thought I was about to, you know, when you're, I'm at a hotel because I'm traveling for work. So you give your credit card for any incidentals. I thought I was about to have a lot of incidentals on that card when I, all that music started playing. I was like, good grief. Stop with this music already. Ruined it for you, huh? <laughs> Jason, did did you feel did you feel personally attacked when he made fun of My Little Pony? Come oh, clean, I, come clean, man. I would never lie to you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I feel attacked for you saying that you feel attacked. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, I I can't tell you again how important what you're doing is it, it, I know that we, we just have a little bit of time, but I do have one more question I wanted to ask you. And that is you've mentioned in other interviews that you've given how challenging of a project this has been. And it's, it's not only been logistically difficult, which I guess putting together any film like this is, but it's been spiritually and emotionally taxing. Um, can, do you, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's important for people to know that this movie isn't just, Eh, Cameron O'Hearn was bored, so he did this in his spare time. I mean, he, he's produced this beautiful and amazing film and given it to us basically for free on, on YouTube. And uh, I, I just wondered if you would feel comfortable talking a little bit about what's been going on in making the film. Uh, I appreciate that question. Um, so we, we rolled right from episode one into episode two. We obviously left episode one on a cliffhanger, so we felt this immediate pressure. Like, now we got to hit the ground running with episode two. Um, and I mean, uh, it's when you're making a documentary, the interesting thing about, I think a documentary, well, any project I work on, I'm kind of always thinking about it. Cause I'm like trying to think of new ideas or new shots we can compose. And, uh, but particularly with a documentary, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. And, you have, you know, hours and hours of interviews that you've sat in on, that you've listened to again in the edit. Um, and they're all little pieces. 
And then you have all these things you can talk about. Bunini, Concilium, Freemasonry, Communion in the Hand, whatever, whatever it is. So it became like everything I thought about almost the entire day was Mass of the Ages, particularly episode two. And that meant that most of what Amber, my wife, and I talked about was Mass of the Ages. And so you can imagine how draining that would get after a while where it's not just a thing I can focus on nine to five and then go home. It's like I'm always pretty much always thinking about it and not just for a short period of time, but nine plus months now we've been working on episode two. And uh, not to mention like spiritual attacks that come in and needing to just be humble and stay close to the sacraments. And basically I've run out of emotion and I've <laughs> run out of like uh, energy. And I feel like I'm um, coasting and I need to like reconnect with um, why I wanted to do this in the first place. Because what I don't want to happen is let's do episode three and let's you know hit the ground running and and all that because um, burnout is a thing you find in a lot of uh, creative people. Uh, I actually see it in a lot of Catholic creative people um, who who go all into a project and then they get burnt out because they they take on too much. So this project is too important for me to just you know try on my own strength to, to continue like at the same pace I've been working on. So um, there's, there's a silver lining, which is we're hiring on more help. <laughs> and so um, we hired on a, an editor who's, who's now working with us full time. Um, we're, we're looking to hire on more people in the future. We're actually going to do even more next year than we did last year in terms of content produced. But that means we need a lot more people who are 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 working on this. So it's uh it's been really difficult, but I actually see that you know we have certain connections that are gonna allow us to do even more with more people helping, which means I can step back into just a creative uh, director producer role, lead lead this project, but not have to push a lot of the buttons, you know? Right. So yeah, I'm really tired. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, uh, I I I just know that our our Lord and our Lady are behind this project, and um, I'm internally grateful that for your cooperation with their with their graces. Because, well, let me ask you this other question before we leave, because this kind of ties into my closing. Do you think Pope Francis has watched your film? I don't think he's watched episode one. I think. Um... I, I think what Pope Francis knows about episode one or this thing we're doing is someone has probably mentioned to him secondhand that there's a resurgence on, you know, YouTube of all these traditional Catholics. I think once episode two comes out, it's going to be like an elephant in the room that you have to deal with. Um, I don't know if then Pope Francis will personally watch it, but I think there will be some more reaction if not from Pope Francis directly, I think from the hierarchy in general. I think um, bishops are going to have to deal with this once it comes out. Does it make you, you know, nervous that Pope Francis knows who you are? Because Pope Francis doesn't <laughs> know who I am. He doesn't care about me. 
No, but does it, we we have does, one listener in Italy. Don't, oh, it's it's got to be him. <laughs> we know who our one listener in Italy is. Okay, it's the only explanation. <laughs> but I was I was actually thinking. I was telling my wife the other day. I said, you know, I have a very hard time believing that at least one person in his inner circle has not watched this film and talked with him about it. And I don't know how I would feel knowing that Pope Francis knew who I was. How, how, would he, does that, does that keep you up at night? No. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I mean, but the thing about episode one is it's not, it's a thing you can kind of ignore. Um, it got a I lot think of press, man. It got, yeah, a lot it got of a press. lot of press. I think it's very beautiful. I think it's, in some ways, like, I think it's a really good film, obviously. I mean, I, I love it. Um, episode two, though, is a very different film. And I think it it forces you to kind of deal with it and to react to it. And so episode two might be a, a different story. Maybe we'll get a, Pope Francis will do like a um, an interview with that, that atheist guy and they'll talk about my film or something. <laughs> you, know what, you know, if they get upset, you know what we can do? to appease them we'll send them some tridentine uh, beer they can drink that <laughs> while they watch your film smooth them over <laughs> that's a good idea <laughs> yeah but it doesn't i mean i'm not a, i'm not afraid of that i know that the evil one hates what we're doing um but i know that i just i'm just simple man i i need to stay close to the eucharist and to the rosary to our lady you're here um you know not not get a big old head i just need to like just do my best and um love my family and um then god then with in christ i can do all things so no big deal well <laughs> I, I i don't know why the holy spirit chose you to do this but i think he may i mean obviously he's made the right choice and um you know, you're absolutely right. Everything we do is for the greater glory of God, or we don't bother doing it at all. It's not worth it. Um, I think your film has come at the right time. It will go down. And I, I, I'm trying to get everybody I can to watch this movie. I was so impressed with episode one. I haven't met the person yet. Novus Ordo Catholic, traditionalist Catholic, Orthodox Jew. I have not met the person yet who watched episode one and went, that's eh, okay. Well, Mark jumped all over somebody. Person. After mass the other day, he jumped all over somebody that said they hadn't watched it. I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he was going to make them sit down right then and there in the kitchen there and watch it. What are you doing for the next hour? Yeah, yeah no kidding. I said, what have you been doing with your life? Go, <laughs> go home, log on to YouTube, watch episode one before we all murder you. <laughs> that's that's a good promotion. Thanks. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Watch it, or you might you might get murdered. <laughs> By the way, that's copyrighted now. <laughs> Cameron, thank you so much for coming on, brother. And uh, take good care of yourself, man. I, I, I Self-care is important. Episode three, don't come out for a while. We'll be here and we'll talk about it when it comes out. I don't want you to. But I think what you've done with episode one and two is so important. We're going to have a link to the films, uh, to episode one and two in our description. And 50 years after the most important event, in religious history in the 20th century, Catholics will finally find out what happened after the Second Vatican Council. Heck yeah. <laughs> and, Thank uh, you, Cameron. Yeah, Cameron, uh, we hope you'll come on again and talk to us again sometime. Thanks, guys. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. For all of our Tradmen listeners, that wraps it up. Jason, any parting thoughts? Just uh, God bless everyone and may Our Lady keep you. And you know what I always say, life is hard. 
but it's harder when you don't play the when you don't pray the rosary. God bless you, everybody. Mm-hmm.